Thank you. Do please be seated. We're going to listen now to our reading. This morning's reading is taken from the first chapter of Acts, verses 1 to 11, if you want to uh, join us in your own Bibles, or it will also be on the screen, both at home and here. Just to briefly remind you that Acts comes just after the four Gospels, so we've heard all about who Jesus was and what his life was about, and now as we launch into Acts, we're going to hear a brief review of Jesus' life, and then a little bit about where the, the writer of Acts feels that we're going now that Jesus has died and been resurrected. So maybe that's why Jonathan has chosen this passage to think about where we're going as we look at Vision Sunday. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, He was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lissy. Maybe that is why I chose the reading. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are risen and ascended and glorified, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, pouring out your Holy Spirit. Pour your Holy Spirit on us now, on me as I speak, on us as we listen here in the building or watching uh, elsewhere or whenever. Pour your Spirit on us and speak to us about your vision for our church and our place within it and 
uh, what you would have us do, the part you would have us play. And we know it's not for us to know the times and dates and there's many things we don't know, but speak to us, we pray. And we ask it in your great name. Amen. Uh, For a number of years, we've had a Vision Sunday and a Commitment Sunday at this time in November. Uh, It's not a rule that always has to happen. You don't have to. We tried it in January on St. Paul's Day and we tried it different times. It just seems to work quite well in November. Um, And normally they've been two weeks following, a Vision Sunday followed by a Commitment Sunday. Next week is Remembrance Sunday. So we've got Vision Sunday today and then in two weeks' time we'll do Commitment Sunday. And the idea of Commitment Sunday is a chance for us as God's people to renew our commitment to Jesus as our Lord and to renew our commitment to serving him as part of this church family or wherever he sends us. And so sort of teeing up Commitment Sunday, it always seems good to have a look at the vision of what God's doing, uh, what's the sort of sign on the bus. If there's a bus, you want to know the sign on it before you get on. Where's it going? Where's, where's the vision that God is calling us in this church family as we seek to renew our commitment, our time, our energy, our prayer, our money, our resources uh, to this? And what part does God uh, want us to play? Now, for... Most of the years I've been the vicar, it's been 21 years now, congratulations if you've lasted all that time with us, but it's been a great privilege being the vicar of St Paul's for a good long stretch. Uh, I've focused on a passage at the end of Acts chapter 2, and we'll come to that in a minute, where the health, we focus on the health of the church and trust God to bring the growth. Uh, But God seems to be leading us now into a season where that health that leads to growth overflows a bit more deliberately. Uh, For many years, God has called individuals and couples and families to go and serve him in different places at different times. And it's been quite a joy seeing God calling some of them back to this area. Uh, Just a few examples, thinking of clergy. Um, You'll remember Rob and Rachel Budd were part of this church and God called them to be ordained. And Rob's now back as vicar at Heathcote. And about five or six couples from this church have gone to join them down there and help the health of that church go. A few years ago, God called Esther Piers to be ordained. And Mark and Esther uh, went to Holy Trinity, just our neighbouring parish. And a number of people from the church have gone to help there. Uh, last month, we were praying for Jonathan and Vicky Smith, who again was ordained from this church and has just come back as the vicar of Bishop's Tatchbrook. And it would... I'd be very surprised if God doesn't call a few of us to go and throw our weight in there as well and see what's going on. Uh, Now, of course, it's not just clergy. God's called people to serve him overseas. We have mission partners in South America and in the Ninigo Islands off Papua New Guinea and in Albania and Central Asia and lots of places around the world. And uh, in Uganda, we're enriched by our relationships. And, of course, the most thing God calls to is each of you in your workplaces and homes here in Leamington and this area. And each of us is seeking God's call, Lord, where do you want me to give my time? Where do you want me to serve? How can I build your kingdom wherever I am, in my workplace, in my home, in my street, through this church? Are you calling me to stay? Are you calling me to go? Now, God's always called ones and twos elsewhere, but it seems we're in a season now where God is calling us as a church to be more proactive in looking to plant new expressions of church and re-energise churches locally that have got tired. Uh, The diocese is asking us to become what they're calling a mission hub church, what other dioceses are calling resource churches, uh, to overflow from the life that God's given here wider. 
And we don't know all the details of what all that will look like, so today's sermon is mostly about direction and trajectory. Uh, and I hope that we'll get more clarity as the months go by. But of course, this is part of our story at St Paul's. In 1873, uh, the foundation stone was laid here uh, from a vision from St Mary's Church, our mother church just to the south, who, as there was new housing here, felt called to build a new church for the benefit of people who live here. There's loads of new housing around Leamington and the area and Radford Semley, and God clearly wants new expressions of church in those as well. Uh, back in 1963, when the church was at its lowest ebb here, on some Sundays just under a dozen in the congregation, God called Norman and Yvonne Warren. And with them, uh, some wonderful, faithful people who came to be the nucleus of, a new, of re-energizing this church. The bishop had said to him, have a go, see what you can do. Don't worry if you can't do anything, we'll pull it down if it doesn't work. But by God's grace, this church was re-energized. And we are sensing a vision from God to look to plant new expressions of church where there aren't and to re-energize uh, churches which have got tired and struggling. And all of us have a part to play in this. Some of us by going to serve elsewhere, some of us by staying here, some of us by stepping up into gaps that have been left by people who've been called elsewhere. So this is something for all of us. Uh, so Lizzie is absolutely right. That's why I picked Acts chapter 1. Uh, we're actually going to look at the first 13 chapters of Acts. It's not going to be a five-hour sermon, don't worry. It'll still be half an hour. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, but Acts chapter 1, verse 8 sets out a trajectory of what happened after Jesus rose and the growth of the early church. Jesus said to those early disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Judea and Samaria is the area around Jerusalem, north and south, as it were, of Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And to start off with in Acts, we have the story of the church in Jerusalem. And then later, of course, the spread of the church, wider and wider and wider, and praise God, as far as us, uh, and still parts of the world which are where the gospel is news going out right to the ends of the earth. Now we have, for us, we're sensing the call that it's not just about the growth of the church here in Leamington. Our vision for the last 15 or so years has been for the town of Leamington. See, Leamington changed one life at a time. And if you go on our website and click on the About Us vision pages, you can see the vision we put together then. We agree with all of that still, but we feel God's calling us wider now. It's not just like it's Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria and wider. This is Leamington and the area around, the villages around for Warwickshire, and God calling some people further. So today's Vision Sunday sermon is really about the intentionality of partnering with God as he seeks to overflow from St Paul's the growth that he's been growing. Now, we have such good news. We worship the God who's made us, who is the source of our very life every day, on the news, we hear statistics of death every day. It's been 18 months now where every day it's in the news. Now, of course, people are born every day, people die every day. But it's been a relentlessness of this. And we don't know exactly what's going to pan out over winter. There is a heaviness and an anxiety 
and the after effects of the pandemic and the current effects weigh heavily. And we worship the God who gives life. And Jesus, who was risen from the dead, who restores life, who brings healing and forgiveness. Uh, Just a couple of verses from John's Gospel. I didn't know Andy was going to start with John's Gospel this morning. But two famous verses from John. John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's not just life after we die. That's life that starts now in knowing God even in the midst of a pandemic. There is an inner life and joy that can be there. As we were praying before the service, one of the team praying with me before the service remembered that verse of scripture, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Even surrounded by difficulty and pressure, God fills us with his life now and his joy. And Jesus said famously in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. Uh, The thief, the enemy, the devil wants to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus triumphed him over the cross and we have wonderful good news. We have good news of life, of knowing the God who is the source of life. And that is a wonderful message for all people at all time and certainly for Leamington and Warwickshire uh, in 2021 and going into 2022. So we're going to look at a bit of a whistle-stop tour of the first half of the book of Acts. You can, we'll put the, the words up on the screens. You can look at them on your phone. There's Bibles behind the pillars if you want to grab one and flip through it. Or maybe you just get hold of your Bible at home and read through the story and let the Lord connect the parallels between what happened then and what he's doing here now and praying, Lord, what part do you want me to play in it? So we start off in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, uh, which we looked at a moment ago. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Unless God fills us with his spirit, nothing of value is going to happen. We can do an awful lot of activity. It can be honourable, worthy, do-gooding activity. Great. But unless God fills us with his spirit, it is not going to achieve the growth of the kingdom of God. Famously, a generation ago or two, A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church in the West, 95% of what we did would carry on and no one would notice. Uh, That's terrible, really. If the Holy Spirit is not thoroughly involved in it, why are we doing it? When we read Acts, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the life of the church, 95% of what they were doing would stop. It just wouldn't have happened. And we need to pray afresh for God to fill us with his life his Holy Spirit, to energise us in our homes, in our streets, in our workplaces, in our church life, in our seeking of him and what part he wants us to play. And at the end of this sermon, we will pray for God to fill us afresh with his spirit. And on Tuesday night at our prayer meeting, where do come if you can or join online, we'll send the link out. We will pray for God to pour his spirit afresh on us and overflow through us to those around Well, the day of Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit fell. 3,000 were converted. Uh, Complete headache to try and organize 3,000 all at once, but by God's grace, they did it. And this lovely snapshot at the end of Acts chapter 2 from verse 42, being one of my favorite passages of scripture for many, many years. It's been a driving vision for me. And if you've been listening to me preaching here all these years, you've heard me preach about this, and you're probably thinking, oh, no, not this passage again. 
Well, just briefly, this one today, and then a few more. Acts chapter 2, this lovely snapshot of the early church. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This has been such an, an encouraging picture of what church can be to me. Um, just a brief recap of my story. I grew up in a sleepy little village church in Buckinghamshire. My dad was the vicar. He loved the Lord. Jesus was very real. But growing up as a boy, church was really rather dull. Uh, and I wasn't very excited about it. And I stopped going as soon as they let me. Uh, I went to school uh, where we had a school chapel. And we sang very heartily. Everybody was my age. But the way they sang Jerusalem in the school chapel was not very different to the way they sang it with the rugby. And it didn't seem to have a lot of God in it. And uh, again, I wasn't very stirred about God. And when I went to student university, I became part of a vibrant church where the worship was lively and God was enthroned on the praises of his people, where the scriptures were taught, where people were coming to faith. And something in me thought, at last, this is what I've been looking for all my life, though I didn't know that's what I've been looking for. And something was birthed in me about healthy church. Uh, which this passage at the end of Acts speaks about, a community of people devoted to the Lord, to each other, studying the scriptures daily, meeting in small groups in their homes, meeting in bigger groups, sharing of their possessions, giving, helping people in need, and the Lord just naturally adding to their number day by day. It was a, it's a wonderful picture of church. And on Vision Sunday for the last 20 years or so, uh, I've tended to come back to this and say, if we work on the health of the church, we can trust God to grow the church. And by God's grace, he has. Uh, none of us have any idea what sort of size the church is now. Since Pre-COVID, we had an idea of who was coming and who wasn't. Now there's all sorts of people who count themselves part of our church who are watching, hello, if we've never met each other before. We'd, we don't know. And there's others who've moved on. We don't know. But I read something that Rick Warren said recently, which I found profoundly challenging. You don't measure the health of a church by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. The fact that we are a larger church with a lot of seats and a lot of people who come on a Sunday doesn't mean it's a great church. Actually, are we going where Jesus is sending us? Uh, don't measure a church by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. And here was a church in Jerusalem that was very healthy and growing and growing larger, but that wasn't the end goal. It overflowed, and the rest of Acts talks about that overflow. And it's that overflow from health to growth to overflow which the Lord is calling us to do in partnership with the diocese, in partnership with other churches, into this wider area of Warwickshire that we're part of, and who knows, various people much further as well. Uh, so the key there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves. And I want to challenge you as challenging myself. Before we get to Commitment Sunday in two weeks' time, I'm going to invite you in two weeks to commit yourself afresh to living with Jesus as your Lord. What does that mean? 
Have you yet started a time each day of reading the scriptures and asking God to speak to you and pray? Are you meeting together with some of his people? It could be in threes or fours or small groups or bigger groups, but meeting together uh, to encourage each other to see what God wants to do through us. Are you seeking, Lord, what do you want me to be doing? How can I be an agent of your kingdom in my workplace, in my street, in my family? Are you calling me to... Is there, is there something stirring in you, something new that God's wanting you to be involved in? Uh, each time I ask the Lord, I feel the Lord calling me to stay here, but to release and encourage others further. But what's he calling you to do? Well, of course, the book of Acts doesn't stop at the end of chapter 2. Uh, and let's look on at just how this, how this church overflowed under God's leading. And there may be one or two parallels to draw. Well, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, we encounter opposition. 3,000 has become 5,000. There's dramatic healing miracles. Jesus' name is honoured. The authorities are worried. Peter and James and John are called in. They're put in prison. They're beaten. There's persecution and opposition starts. What are they going to do? Well, they come and they pray. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. We got those. There we go. On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer uh, to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There's a bit more of their prayer. Let's pick it up at verse 28. Uh, They did, the authorities did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, we live in a day when opposition is beginning to grow to the church in our country. There's been a real shift in my lifetime from the church being the majority to the church being the minority, from the church being held as a place of honour to quite often the church being a place of shame, and from a widespread tolerance to an increasing hostility, particularly in the area of sexual ethics and morality, the world and the church are out of step with each other. Now, the world and the church have always been out of step with each other. The way of Jesus is countercultural. But for those of us who've grown up in a Christendom culture, to see this shift is profoundly disturbing and unsettling. Now, it's nothing like the persecution that our brothers and sisters face in other parts of the world, where their lives are threatened because they follow Jesus. But it's disturbing. And it can lead us to go quiet. The early church, when they first hit opposition, did not go quiet. They met and they prayed for boldness and courage. And God filled them and they were given that. Uh, I've been reading over the last month John Mark Comer's new book, Live No Lies. Absolutely brilliant, as all his books are. Totally commend it to you. But he talks about this transition that's happened in society and how we need to stay true to Jesus. That lovely new song we sang, I hadn't heard that before, only a holy God. And we need to be a holy people, 
And we will be out of step with society on various things. And there will be opposition. But it doesn't mean we should go quiet. It actually means the church will be more distinctive. It means that just as Jesus was attractive, his people should be more attractive if we're faithful to him. But it won't be easy. So we need to pray. And we need to pray for courage to name the name of Jesus, to be faithful to him and his values. And where we're out of step with society, uh, to expect some opposition. That will come. So they prayed. And they were unbelievably generous. The next bit of Acts chapter 4 from verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. One of the ways at Commitment Sunday, I always invite uh, the church, uh, me as much as anybody else, to, things to do, is to look again at our giving. God gives us all a certain amount of resources. Uh, the biblical standard is to be generous and sacrificial. I'm pretty sure that means at least tithing. Happy to say that we tithe to the church and give to others beyond that. Uh, if you haven't sorted your giving out, it would be really good for your discipleship to do and, of course, it's needed by the church. If we're going to overflow to more ministry, that's going to cost more money and more resources. If we wind up sending people off to plant churches, we will lose leaders, we will lose their giving, and uh, we will need more people to step up in leadership and more finance. But God has always provided for our needs. And uh, this isn't a giving sermon. This is just a reminder to examine your giving. If you've never started doing that regularly, please do. Um, just as if you've never started reading the scriptures regularly, please do. It's part of our devotion to Jesus as Lord. And as we give, you cannot outgive God. He frees us from the grip of materialism. He promises to provide our needs. And the early church, they gave generously, so anyone in need was provided for. Uh, in our church, we have a hardship fund, so that those in need, we have some money that can give. This winter is going to be really tough. Furloughs stopped, gas and electricity prices are rocketing. There's going to be so much more need. Um, so do, as well as the regular giving, we can increase hardship fund giving, or do what Barnabas did, of just lay the money at the apostles' feet, as it were, to say to the church leadership, here is some resources. I've had this legacy, let me tithe it. Or, uh, it is going to, when we look to plant new churches, we will want to give them some money to get them going. And so it's good if we've got some to do that. So do consider how you can use your financial resources uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, we're encouraging everybody who can to switch over to the parish giving scheme. You can find leaflets about that on the welcome desk afterwards. The glory of that is that they collect the tax for us. It saves our wonderful finance team a huge amount of administration that just comes in automatically. And if that works for you, please do use that. And I know Andrew Rolls, our treasurer, be delighted to answer any questions about that uh, if you'd like. But here's a church that grows, that's generous, that's bold, that's prayerful, that's united. And so the church keeps growing. In Acts chapter 5, 
there's a holiness issue they have to deal with and they stay holy. There's more healing, there's more growth, there's more persecution, there's more opposition. And we get to Acts chapter 6 where the thing has become a bit unwieldy uh, and they need to do something about it. Acts chapter 6 from verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them, that's the Greek background Jews, complained because the Hebraic Jews, the Hebrew Jews, uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these people to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. That is a miracle when that sort of thing happens. So what happened? Well, the leaders were stretched. So they delegated and they concentrated on the ministry of the word and prayer and the oversight of what was going on. And we found that trajectory growing as the church has grown. We've appointed more staff. For this next oversight, uh, this next stage, I'm getting far more involved in working with the diocese and the bishop's council. You'll know I'm elected onto general synod and what's going on nationally. That means, obviously, I have less time here but we're looking at how to appoint an associate vicar or who God's going to bring to us and trusting that as this overflow happens, God will raise up either from within or from without people who are needed to lead different ministries. Uh, that was what happened then. It's what will happen now. Uh, and it's not easy, but as people let go and move on, so it provides space for others to grow in. So whether we're called to stay or to go, All of us have a part to play. Well, the church kept growing in Jerusalem and the opposition grew. And in chapter 7 and chapter 8, we find the first martyrdom. Stephen, one of these seven deacons, is killed. Uh, Shocking persecution breaks out. Uh, As happens to our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, As happened in this country in years gone by. People martyred for their faith in Jesus. Uh, the opposition we face is tiny compared to this. But this doesn't stop the spread of the church. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Saul, who became St. Paul, approved of killing Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And did you see how they were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria? And so God's plan was not frustrated. The plan at the beginning was Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So far, we've got a really healthy growing church in Jerusalem. The opposition comes and people are scattered and where they go, they start talking about Jesus and the church starts growing wider and wider. God has ways of scattering people. Uh, He's taken quite a lot of people from this church 
and sent them off elsewhere, either through their jobs or through a call to go and serve a different church. I'm sure that God will take from our number and scatter us wider as well. Uh, Two examples in Acts. We find Philip in Samaria, Acts chapter 8 from verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Goes on to say, so there was great joy in that city. Of course there was. Uh, so Philip is one of the ones who's scattered, and suddenly the church starts growing in Samaria. A little later on, chapter 11, uh, from verse 19, we read this. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So these are just two examples. Where they're scattered, we find churches starting and growing wider and wider and wider. Uh, And we find this racial mix of the church growing. The church has always been good in the early days on men and women, rich and poor. They cared for each other. In Acts 6, the tension was between the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebraic Jews. And there was this racial tension. And the apostles solved it by appointing seven Hellenistic, actually, all the names of the seven deacons were Greek names. Uh, and that to get there was a, a ethnic harmony, but it's still just Jews. Now we find the gospel going to Gentiles, Jew and Gentile. And the church is designed to be not just male and female, not just rich and poor, but multi-ethnic. Uh, in our church family, we have people from lots of different ethnic backgrounds. But sadly, in our leadership and PCC, that's not properly reflected yet. And we, are, we have a way to go till the leadership of our church reflects the makeup of the church. Uh, and I'm sure if we get better at that, that will please the Lord. He loves it when people from every tribe and tongue come together and worship him. And it's him that is honoured. Uh, and so as this scattering happened, churches grew... And alongside this, God picks out different individuals who he draws to faith. So we find the Ethiopian eunuch, the first black convert from Africa, from Ethiopia. Philip is in the middle of the revival in Samaria, and we read this, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandaki, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And Philip leads him to faith in Jesus. He's baptized, and on he goes and starts the church in Ethiopia. The next chapter, chapter 9, we find St. Paul is converted. Saul, who's persecuting the church, is blinded. And God uses Ananias, a Christian we'd never heard of before and we haven't since. Uh, But here in chapter 9, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Lord, answered Ananias, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem, as if the Lord didn't know. (laughs) And he's come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. God is drawing individuals to himself and he usually uses one of his people to help them. Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, Ananias to Saul, become Paul. And in chapter 11, it's Cornelius, the Roman centurion, that Peter is sent to. Uh, Just the first couple of verses of this story. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. And so, if you don't know the story, do read it later. Simon Peter goes and Cornelius and his household become Christians and are baptised. And God is overflowing from this church in Jerusalem, overflowing. Someone in Ethiopia who plants a church there, St. Paul converted, Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And we find God drawing people of every tribe and tongue to him and using individuals. He will use you in your workplace, with your neighbours, in your family. If you get a nudge to start a conversation or if there's an opportunity, go for it. The Lord is drawing people to himself. And much as our society has turned its back on the church as an organised church, people are so interested in Jesus. And it takes all of us to have these conversations. We can't leave it to what's happening in church. As we are scattered in our places, uh, all of us have a role to play. Uh, There's an excellent book I want to commend to you called Scattered Servants by Alan Scott, Uh, This was who led the Causeway Vineyard Church in uh, Ireland for 20 years. Uh, This talks about just so many stories of people in their workplaces or streets or neighbourhoods following God's prompts and the Lord drawing people himself beyond the church. And it's this overflow that is the trajectory of what God's doing here. It's not primarily what happens here, it's what happens as we overflow from here as individuals and whatever God calls us to plant Uh, whatever is new. Um, One new thing I'm delighted about, good to see Andy Lockyer up in the balcony there, is this welcome cafe that's going to be starting in January. Threw this out as an idea at the annual meeting and God spoke to Andy about it. The team is growing, could use a few more on this team, just on a Monday morning every week to provide a place where people can come, where it's okay not to be okay, where we pray the Lord will meet people and start a journey of them coming to know him and a place instead of being loneliness, a place of welcome and community. Uh, Do talk to Andy about that if you'd like to know more about that. But new things happening here and elsewhere. Uh, One more bit to go down. My time is nearly up. I'm preaching to the clock when we come. Children's groups finish in a few minutes. Let's just finish with the end of Acts chapter 12 and the beginning of Acts chapter 13. Barnabas and Saul have been in Antioch. They got a collection together for the church in Jerusalem. They returned to the church in Jerusalem, taking with them uh, John called Mark. 
then when they'd taken the collection to Jerusalem, they went back to Antioch. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who became St. Paul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now this is more proactive. So far the Lord has scattered people through persecution. He's told individuals what to do. But here is a church deliberately sending people out. And the second half of Acts is all about their missionary journeys. We're going to be praying on Tuesday night. Who knows whether the Lord will give us a bit of direction as clear as that yet or not. We don't yet know. Uh, We don't know the times and seasons. But we are going to be praying. I'd love to start a new monthly prayer meeting that is looking at the new things God's doing, as well as praying for all the things God is doing. This sense of if God's calling us to overflow, to plant new things, we need to be in touch with him and in step with him and we need to be praying more. But but Tuesday night's the first time when we'll gather to pray about that. What will it look like? I don't know. But my prayer certainly includes village churches re-energised and communicating the gospel well in the villages around here. New worshipping communities in new areas of housing or retirement communities or perhaps something in coffee shops or schools. People aren't so interested in the institutional church, but they'll come to smaller things scattered around the place. Uh, It will certainly be time to update our vision document, and I hope that we'll be able to get some clarity by the annual meeting at Easter to know what this will look like. For the moment, this is trajectory, this is the direction God's calling us, and for us to commit ourselves afresh to the Lord. So will you pray over these next two weeks? Like in Acts 2.42, will you devote yourself to the scriptures, to prayer, to fellowship, to what God's calling us to do together? Uh, In two weeks, we'll commit ourselves afresh to the Lord. Over the next months, we'll work with the diocese and see what we can do together for the spread of God's kingdom. It's quite an exciting time. I'm expecting there will be opposition and difficulty. The two tend to go together as you read Acts. So we need to be united and we need to pray. But let's come back as we close to the verse we started with. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Leamington and in all of Warwickshire and to the end of the earth. Would you stand and let's pray and then we'll sing... And then it will be time for the children. The children's groups will be finishing in two or three minutes' time. So those of you who have children, uh, as the sing- little children, as the singing's happening, do slip out to get them. Lord, here we are. I've spoken too long. But this is your church. You are the head of the church. You know the plans you have for us. And we pray, send your Holy Spirit on us afresh. Come most Holy Spirit and fill your people here in the building in homes and wherever people are watching perhaps at home you might like to stand as well and open your hands to receive what God is giving come Holy Spirit and minister to your people and let's just keep still for a minute or two together
Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us a fresh assurance of your fatherly love for us. Give us a fresh confidence in Jesus as our Lord. Fill us with your joy, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. And over these next two weeks, speak to us that in two weeks' time, when we come to Commitment Sunday, we would joyfully bow our knee to you afresh as Lord. Lead us, we pray, individually, as families, as a church family, about what you would have us do. As we work together with the diocese, Lord, may new churches be planted, may churches be re-energised, just as we were in years gone by. And may you be glorified. If opposition comes, give us boldness and courage and unity in prayer. And may we keep in step with you in these years to come. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together.